Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome back to The Breakdown, an everyday analysis breaking down the most important stories in Bitcoin, crypto, and beyond with your host, NLW. The Breakdown is distributed by Coindesk. Welcome back to The Breakdown's end-of-year extravaganza. Today, we have another one of our double interviews. So I put together David Hoffman, uh, co-host of the POV Crypto Podcast, with Camila Russo, who's the uh, journalist and the writer of the Defiant newsletter, who's working on a book about Ethereum, uh, because both of them wanted to talk about one key topic, which was DeFi, decentralized finance. Both of them, for their money, it was the most essential topic of 2019. And what's more, both of their predictions related to DeFi. For David, it's a it's a, th- a thought about composability and what it means. Whereas for Cami, it's about the idea of undercollateralized loans. So this interview gets a little bit more in depth on DeFi than even some of the other folks who touch on it. And I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, please subscribe so you catch all of the b- breakdowns end of year coverage. Uh, and until then, let's dive into this interview. All right, everyone. I am joined by Camila Russo, who has um, a ton of different things going on in this space. You are working on a book about DeFi, I think, uh, about crypto broadly. Yeah, about Ethereum. That's right. And uh, and I guess I'm I'm I, I, I've been mostly interacting with your work recently through the Defiant, your newsletter. So uh, you know, it seems like you've had a really great 2019. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing, and super excited for what's coming up next year. Um, amazing. Well, so um, like I was just telling you, uh, I love end of the year content. I think it's such a fun way to get to get kind of um, check in with people about what they think the year before was and what they think is coming next. So I have two two quick questions. Um, and the first one is, what do you think was the story or narrative of 2019? So I think for me, it's really clear the most important narrative of 2019 was Um, the consolidation of DeFi as a true parallel financial system. We saw these applications on on this ecosystem really grow, uh, both in in size and in amount of of value uh, transacted and and held. Uh, They also grew in, in amount of users, in, in, in improved user experience, improved functionality. 
So we really saw this, this space um, strengthen and, and become an, an actual you know, usable financial system that's entirely independent from the legal, legacy finance. It's 100% cypherpunk. I mean, you can discuss um, how decentralized these apps are. Some are more decentralized, some are less, but in the end, you can have lending, trading, insurance, derivatives, issuance, payments, like all of, all of these pieces that fit together that are mostly open source and are completely composable and work in these like very cool money Legos. Um, and, and that kind of came to fruition this year. It's been amazing to, to watch. Um, I've been following it in my newsletter, um, The Defiant, and we saw it like basically double um, with almost $700 million held now um, from around $300 million at the start of the year. So it's been um, a huge year for for DeFi. So one of the things that I, I notice and I, I think about a lot is um, you can almost start to tell when when a narrative goes a little more mainstream because you start to see more sophisticated critique and just more critique of it, right? And so like mm -hmm. if you looked at the critique conversation about DeFi at like the end of 2018, people weren't even really like necessarily paying that much attention. It was still people debating about like, mm -hmm. is it open finance? Is it decentralized finance? What's the name? Whereas this year you're seeing a lot more, a lot more robust debate. And I guess like, what do you, what do you yeah. think? Um, you know, cause I, I, I agree that this has been such an important year for, for really the bringing together of the space. What do you think? Uh, and this is not a FUD or anything, but like, what, what are the mm -hmm. things that you think the smartest people in DeFi are the most conscientious of or worried about, or just, you know, uh, think is the most important to figure out going forward um, to, to make it live up to its potential? Yeah, no, I think um, good critique is definitely necessary, especially in such a nascent space. And I think the most important thing to, to be aware of is the amount of risk that's you know in, involved in, in these applications. Um, these are by no means safe applications to use or that can fully replace um, the current financial system right now so i i think the you know the most um knowledgeable people are and, and as they should be kind of digging into these protocols and finding out where uh the risks are where there are potential attacks like we saw this week with um the the, the MakerDAO uh, attack that's being uh, voted on uh that the fix is being voted on today and this is basically the backbone of DeFi and, 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 and there was a, you know, a major potential attack there lurking. Um, so, so that's just one example. And there have been tons throughout the year. Um, and so I, I think the, the space will continue to, to get stronger as more and, you know, as more smart people are looking at it and figuring out what the risks are and what the, what are the best ways to protect against them. Yeah, it does seem like that's one of the one of the big um, differences between something like DeFi and what we saw during the ICO and kind of tokenize everything days is there's not the same there's not the same like boosterism of like everyone should be involved and retail investors should be involved. There's a much more conscientious sense of um, of how early it is and what the risks are and why to tread really softly and lightly. Yeah, for sure. I think that's 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 a good thing. It really shows how much the space has matured and i think icos were really kind of the first taste we got of DeFi because in the end it is part of DeFi, you know raising money in this kind of decentralized way but we're seeing 
um, much more sophistication in this new iteration of, of decentralized finance with different different types of, of applications and more more knowledgeable um, users and, and developers as, as well. One more DeFi question, I guess, before I ask you about a prediction for next year, just because I was just talking about it on today's uh, today's podcast. But so um, there's a new money on chain startup that's built on rootstock that's kind of like DeFi on Bitcoin. And this is something that I'm seeing a lot more. Mm-hmm. A lot more people certainly are trying to uh, trying to kind of build a, a version of DeFi on Bitcoin. Do you think that um, DeFi is a concept that is bigger than Ethereum? Or do you think that it's kind of intrinsically woven in with Ethereum? Or maybe is that not the right the right way to break it down? I guess it feels to me like the the narrative of DeFi is getting even, even bigger in some ways than, than any single uh, blockchain. Oh, for sure. I, I think I think DeFi is much it's, it's bigger than Ethereum because I think it will be part of um, just a larger Web three economy. You know, I, I I really do believe that we're going towards a world where everything will be will tend to be more decentralized, and finance will be obviously a big part of this. Ethereum will be one of the platforms where these applications are are built on. I think it will continue to be an important one um, because of the way it it's structured. You know, it allows for more f- flexibility. You know, it was built with these, um, I mean, with this purpose in mind uh, to have a smart contracts and, you know, uh, a, a more like programmable uh, network than than Bitcoin. But um, that's not to say that other other platforms won't participate in, in this ecosystem, and and I think it, it will be good for everyone that, that they do. And I, I think um, maximalism, whether it's ETH maximalist or Bitcoin maximalist, uh, don't help the space at all. I think um, everyone can grow together. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for your insights there. So my second question, like I kind of hinted at, is what about looking forward? What is, you know, do you have predictions for next year or even just one prediction, something you think will will happen next year? Yeah. So um, around DeFi, I think so. So this year we saw, as, as I mentioned, kind of the space consolidate um, and it's all really based on collateral, right? Like everything has to be over collateralized because we, we really haven't solved the decentralized identity uh, problem. And so over collateralization is, is the way you, you can kind of secure the safety of these uh, protocols. But I think there's there's so much innovation in this space and uh, so so much uh, research that um, and everyone kind of I, I think it's um it's it's a common conclusion that many people have uh, come to that for for DeFi to really grow and and become more mainstream it needs uh, uh, to to offer under collateralized products and um so i, I think my prediction for 2020 is that we'll see the the first under collateralized DeFi uh products either um maybe it will be a, a separate app that that offers this or maybe a product within an existing app but i do think this it's a crucial next step for, for DeFi and seeing the speed of innovation uh, this year. Um, I think it will continue to next year. And I think this will be one key um, uh, development that uh, people will be focusing in. So I'm, I'm confident that they'll, they'll solve it and, and we'll get uh, m- more people uh, getting into, into DeFi because of these 
under collateralized products. That's fascinating. That's a that's a great prediction. I mean, I think that that is one of the one of the most resonant critiques for people who aren't just sort of haters, is but people who mm-hmm. are intrigued by the idea and really want it to work, but want to see it benefit, you know, uh, people in places that can use it the most. That's kind of the one of the big issues. So, um, sure. I mean, I, I think that will certainly certainly increase the risk. So it'll be interesting to see how people address it. But it is it does. I think that you're right that it feels like a natural and important next step. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it will be exciting to see. I, I, I think it will have, as you said, um, more risk because we will have to deal with kind of decentralized identity and other pieces to have this, this work. Um, but I think, yeah, it is a necessary next step. And I think we're, we're getting there. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Camila, so much for joining uh, me today. Uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more or talk about DeFi or um, yell that DeFi shouldn't exist and you're crazy? <laughs> or where, where can people find you? Yeah, so um, I'm I mean, mostly on, on Twitter at Cami Russo or, you know, just uh, follow me on, on, on my newsletter and yeah, shoot me an email, leave comments on, on the post. Um, yeah, I'm really open to, to feedback and, and, and love to discuss these, uh, these topics and talk about this stuff. Um, well, I love uh, your newsletter. It's one of my favorite places to go to catch up on, um, on DeFi and, and Ethereum more broadly. So uh, thank you so for much. all of your hard work and, and thanks for hanging here today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Nathaniel. This was really fun. Welcome back. I am so excited to have David Hoffman uh, of Twitter fame, of POV crypto podcast fame. Um, thank you so much for joining, David. Hey, Nathan. Really, uh, really happy to be here. Thanks for bringing me on. So you've had a you've had a great 2019. It seems like from afar, POV crypto has kind of had a a, a breakout year as a different type of format where there's actual debate and uh, and discussion. And um, I, I feel like that's that's a really cool addition to the to the um, crypto podcast environment. So uh, kudos to you for for a good year. Hey, thanks. Uh, it's been one of the most fun things I've done with with my time. Uh, me and my co-host Christian, we're old college buddies, and so uh, we we kind of have just a, a unique relationship where we can, you know, yell at each other, and it's okay because we're friends. So it, it, it's been a pleasure uh, running that podcast with him, and uh, I really appreciate our niche that we've kind of built out as the debate focused podcast. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's so valuable and such a such a great addition. Um, so, as I was telling you just be just before uh, before we jumped in here, um, we're I'm doing a bunch of end of year content, uh, just seeing what you know. I think it's such a good time to get a sense of what people think um, you know happened and the significance of the year was. And so, I have two two questions, uh, which I'm sure I'll turn into more. But the first one is just, what do you think was the narrative of 2019? What was the big story of this last year, right? When when we look back and tell the story of, of 2019? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, anyone who follows me will will know probably exactly what I'm going to say. But I want to split my narratives up in, into two. One is that ETH is money. And one is the whole uh, DeFi will replace will replace finance, and when you kind of combine these things, uh, it makes a, a pretty compelling uh, argument for for what is going on in the Ethereum world. And uh, I want everyone to to realize that that DeFi is what makes ETH money uh, because ETH is being integrated as the collateral for all these DeFi applications that allow them to run. That's what made made the meme, made the narrative that that ETH is money. 
Uh, and so uh, the the Bitcoiner thesis about how Bitcoin will be the reserve asset in in for the whole entire world is kind of being um, uh, re reorged into this whole Ethereum context where uh, Ether is being seen as the collateral for all of these uh, decentralized finance applications. So regardless of you know your opinion of Ether or Ethereum or you know, what, what you think of these DeFi apps, we are seeing that Ether is being the collateral for these applications that continue to, to grow and develop in numbers. So I think the ETH is money is actually really interesting. Like I kind of am interested in memes on both like the level of what their significance is in the industry, but also just almost on a meta level of understanding memes and their propagation. So I don't know if you heard it, but actually Ryan Selkis and I um, spent a, a, a like a, a meaningful amount of time talking about the ETH is money meme on Masari's unqualified opinions, probably like, I don't know, two months ago or right, right when you guys were like really digging into it. And I think it was interesting because it, it uh, does have that sort of, resonance where, um, you know, like people either they respond to it or they're so friggin' annoyed with it that they like go ham to explain why you're wrong, but it still propagates the meme. So I think it's, it's been interesting to watch that one in specific. And certainly I think that you're right that the, it's the, the thing that makes it, um, not easily dismissible, even if it's your inclination to dismiss it is the extent to which these DeFi applications are, uh, are, are, are existing, right? Like you may think that they're headed for systematic trouble. You may think that they're, uh, you know, problematic in some, you know, some way or another, but at the end of the day, they exist and they're, they're a little unignorable right now. Right. Which is different than where we were a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. I have an article coming out in Ren Chad Adams is bankless, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And it's, uh, about the two faces of Ethereum. Uh, and this is a metaphor I, I pulled from Eric Weinstein's interview with Vitalik, where he described, uh, uh, the DAO hack and how uh, the DAO hack was. Uh, we were supposed to have this robot that's managing our money, but then when we we when we did the state change in the DAO, it was like we had this robot face rip off his face, rip off his mask, and there's a human face behind it, like you know playing playing with the system. Uh, and so I, I think we can kind of extend that metaphor to basically all of these decentralized finance applications. So we have like the whole range of potential human versus computer behind the curtain apps on Ethereum. And so like for the most extreme example, like Realty, my company, we do tokenized real estate, super centralized. We can revoke your tokens. We can mint more tokens. Like you trust us that the property is there. And so there's total human behind the system. Uh, and then there's Uniswap, which is a completely humanless application that is just robots. Uh, and there's no human that needs to uh, be involved with the application itself. And between those two ends of the spectrum, there's a huge gamut of like, to what degree is this application computer run? And to what degree is this application um, uh, human run? And so like MakerDAO is a really interesting hybrid scenario where there, it has this like uh, human foundation that is responsible for kind of the upkeep and the maintenance of the government. But from a product perspective, it's all computers. And so if you come and submit your Ether as collateral because it's money into MakerDAO uh, and you can get mint and you can mint die immediately without any human involvement and without any you know subjective um, roles to play. And so MakerDAO is really this human computer hybrid. And I think what will be explored in 2020 is um, to what degree that we really need these things to be fully computer managed. 
Bitcoiner, the Bitcoiner thesis is that we should strip out all humans whenever possible to the maximal degree because humans are subjective and they make mistakes and they mess things up. Uh, and that's a really, I, I think the Ethereum world doesn't really uh, listen to that as much as they should. Um, but at the same time, the Bitcoiner world might have overreached with how much do we need humans out of these systems. And, and I think if we can relegate the majority of responsibility, like 80, 90 percent of the responsibility to computers and just have humans make the last mile, the last 5 percent, 10 percent of decisions, then I think that's pretty scalable. And that's kind of what I see in DeFi today. We have a, a gamut of applications that have some sort of spectrum of human to computer control and we're going to see we're going to see like what applications um really need to be totally managed by computers and what can be managed by humans um so is that 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 is that your prediction for 2020 it sounds like you segue perfectly right into it but mm -hmm. and what is what does that look like in terms of actually figuring out where those lines draw i guess if that is if, if that is kind of what you anticipate happening over the course of the next year yeah, sure. So my, my big predictions for 2020 are that this is going to be paid attention to much more. Uh, and I think we've already started to see hints of that. Uh, one of my, my favorite uh, metaphors is, is, and this applies to both Bitcoin and Ethereum, is that it is a hydra. And so if you kill one part of it, it'll just come up elsewhere. And we saw that in Ethereum with Ether Delta, where Ether Delta was run by one person with one server, and it was just way too centralized and the SEC came and chopped off that head of the Hydra. Um, but now we have Uniswap and, and Uniswap is fully autonomous and it's this new decentralized exchange on Ethereum that fulfills the same role and there's no humans there. Uh, and so uh, I think we're going to, if, if the Bitcoiner thesis is correct, that the powers that be are not going to be okay with these crypto economic systems come to life. Uh, then we're really going to see these Ethereum applications be tested with their human um, side, the, the human side of them. Uh, and then the other part of that thesis is uh, composability. Uh, the number of, or, or my predictions for 2020 is composability. The number of DeFi applications out there, if that number goes up by one, well, then the permutations of possible combinations of other apps go up by uh, an order uh, of magnitude. Uh, if there's just one more, then there's like 10 more combinations that can be made. And so we're starting to really hit this escape velocity with DeFi apps where, you know, the, the numbers are starting to become countless and the permutations of how we can combine these things becomes even more infinite. Uh, and so I think 2020 will be the year of really becoming creative with the Money Lego ecosystem on Ethereum. Um, that's fascinating. I think uh, one point that you made that resonates with me is that it's I, it will be really interesting to see to what extent we test the um, the resilience of uh, of decentralized protocols to adapt to um, you know geopolitical constraints. Basically, right? If you have a Uniswap or you know any other decentralized liquidity provider or whatever that uh, that because of their you know from a, a, a the interface that they create has to play by a certain set of rules, so they you know, geoblock or geofence or whatever, um, you know, will will just alternatives, you know, alternative UIs basically for using the same underlying protocol spring up. Um, that that seems to me to be one of the things that's going to be really interesting to watch, especially is just you have to anticipate that the global regulatory infrastructure is just going to continue to to catch up. You know, even if even if crypto continues to evolve, a, a, you know, maybe a bit faster than they they can every year that goes on, they're more sophisticated in their understanding. There's a a, a wider array of people and they're figuring out 
rightly or wrongly, how to how to kind of integrate it into their own um, mental frameworks and regulatory models. Yeah, absolutely. And we're talking uh, a couple days after Uniswap geo-blocked a, a couple of the countries that you would expect them to, like Zimbabwe, Iran, etc. Uh, and that kind of created a little bit of, of drama on on Twitter uh, because, you know, people are talking about how DeFi is supposed to be open. And if you're blocking people, then that's not DeFi. Um, I just think it's a little bit of a hubbub because uh, Uniswap.exchange, the website URL, is just one place to engage with Uniswap. And honestly, it's not even the best place. And so I think uh, another uh, thesis of 2020 could be these aggregators, um, mainly Xeron and Instadap, where there are actually four, five or six protocols behind the scenes, behind the, the UX or the UI in these, app- in these websites. Uh, and because you don't need to know as a user that that's Compound behind the scenes or that's Uniswap or Kyber behind the scenes or DYDX, like you just want to get something done. Uh, and so these aggregators uh, that will have their own unique URL uh, will be able to provide these services. So you don't have to go from Compound to Uniswap to DYDX to get these things done. And instead, you can just go to one clean interface. And, and Argent is also working on this as well with uh, Wallet Connect, where you can just keep all of your funds in your in your Argent wallet and then just use Wallet Connect to plug into whatever um, whatever application you want. Uh, and so I actually think that uh, 2020 is going to be bearish for going to compound.finance or uniswap.exchange and instead just using these protocols in the background as they should be. We don't need to go to every single uh, website to get our tasks done. That's just not efficient. Uh, and so I, I also think that's coming. Interesting. I love it. All right. Well, we will check back in and see how that goes. But I, I think there's a lot that resonates with me uh, on, on that. And David, thank you so much for your time today. I uh, really appreciate your insights and uh, have a great end of your 2019. Hey, thanks for bringing me on. This was a ton of fun.